Welcome back to the Flat Out RC Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking planes, helis, and drones, and anything that's in between. What could be in between? Gliders, maybe. Discus launch gliders. We've covered a lot of different topics here uh, on the Flat Out RC Podcast. Welcome to any newcomers. Don't forget to subscribe whilst you're here so that uh, you can always stay up to date with what's going on in the Flat Out RC Podcast land. Good guest coming up, a uh, young guy by the name of Brad Worm, the Worm Star, Worm Person, as my kids like to refer to him as, my sim buddy. We get on the sim a lot, uh, so stay tuned for Brad coming up. As I mentioned, a lot has been happening around the traps. I know down here in Australia, where I, I am currently residing, Melbourne, Australia, there's a lot of events that are happening. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had Tony Wilson on talking about uh, the Bensdale Club and a, a whole bunch of events that are uh, happening down that way. Unfortunately, COVID got in the way for last week's events in that they had to be cancelled because we were in a lockdown for five days. But we're out of lockdown again, uh, uh, now, and as I speak, the crew must be packing up down at Bansdale. It's Sunday late afternoon that I'm recording this, and the crew down at Bansdale are packing up. What are they packing up? They're jets. The turbine flyers were down at Bansdale uh, having a fly. The, the Victorian Jet Association ran an event, a uh, little mini event. It was sort of like it just to get together more than an event. It was good to see a bunch of guys go down there and enjoy the field. Interesting to see what their feedback is about the changes at the field that they've made, as Tony mentioned, a longer runway. Um, but good to see up in Queensland, a lot of events uh, coming online, uh, which hopefully we'll, we'll get some uh, coverage. We see clubs like the Tin Can Bay Club always uh, popping up in my feed, in my Facebook feed with different events. So well done to the Tin Can Bay Club up there. I've driven past Tin Can Bay on my way to a sailing event when I did a bit of a sailing trip and event up a, up a Tin Can Bay. But uh, yeah, so the event scene is really starting to fire. We're fortunate down here in Australia that our COVID situation is pretty much under control. We can't really complain about too much, all things considered. So the events, good to see them coming back. Just start getting your planes ready. Just get into your nearest events. Awesome thing to do. I can't wait. I'm waiting for some events are coming up in March at my local club, which I will be going to. So that should be good. And as far as I'm concerned, flying this weekend, I actually went and flew my FPV drones. Big shout out to my friend Richie, who um, gave me a few pointers so I can prove my FPV drone flying as the dog starts barking in the background. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you probably realize that my dog likes to interrupt now and again. It's a cavoodle. And what cavoodles like to do is bark at anything that's out the front of the house. So obviously the front door is open and it can see people walking past and hence it's barking. Anyway, let's get on to our guest. I've got a new solution to the dog issue. Lulu, my dog, is now sitting on my lap so she can't bark at anything and she's wondering what's going on as I give her a little pat. Anyway, time for the guest and this week's guest is Brad Worm, aka the Wormster, aka Worm Person. Uh, Brad is, what, 15? He's 15. Uh, hails from Kyabram, which is near Echuca, flies at the Echuca uh, Club. And his thing is aerobatics. And uh, we get on the sim a lot, Brad and I. He sends me a message on Facebook Messenger, sim question mark, and it's either 
can't, got work to do, or yep, coming. We set up our computers, we get on, we get on the sim, have a bit of a chat, and go for a flight. And he's really progressing well. Like I, I've known him for a few years now, and he's really moving ahead in leaps and bounds in aerobatics. And uh, I wanted to get him on because a few weeks or about a month ago, we started working on um, his freestyle routine because he started to compete in the. Uh, freestyle uh, section of the IMAC competitions as I put the dog down. Uh, and uh, they, we were doing some work together on, on developing his routine, which, which was a good exercise to do with him. And so I thought I'd get him on, have a chat about uh, his flying and what he's doing in aerobatics. So here we go, Brad Worm. We're back to having a young guy on the Flat Out RC podcast. It's my sim buddy, Brad Worm, a.k.a. the Wormster. AKA the worm person, as my kids like to refer him to. Brad, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Andrew, for having me. That's all right, Wormy. Well, uh, look, I, I consider you to be one of the up and coming young guns uh, in the aerobatics scene, and we're gonna we're gonna get delve a bit deeper into your life in aerobatics and and what you're up to. But where did your journey in radio controlled planes start? Um. So from a very young age, I was always into remote control cars. Um, but then my I found out my neighbor actually flew remote control airplanes. And I was really, he was like, hey, come down to the field and have a look at these things. And I was like, ah, I didn't really believe that they fly in the first place. And then we had a, went down there one weekend and I've just got it hooked ever since. And it's been amazing. How old were you when you first started? Uh, I was around the age of 10. And you're, what, so you're 16 now, ago. aren't you? Uh, turning 16, yes, this year. Okay, turning 16, so we're currently 15. Now, the first thing, like for those of you who don't know, Brad lives out at uh, Kyabram, which is what, central, northern, northern central Victoria. Yeah. A bit below Echuca, and you fly at the Echuca Club. Now, you mentioned your neighbour flew. Now, what I don't understand is you live on 60 acres, all right? Yeah. Does your neighbour live on a bit of land as well? Yep. Why don't any of you fly in your backyard? Um, ah, just the club's amazing and it's, it's a great place to hang out and everyone's there, so it's better better to go flying there. It's an interesting concept that a lot of us would love to have a bit of land, you know, live on a bit of land so that we can have our own flying strip. But any every time I speak to someone that has that situation, has that opportunity, they go to the flying club to go fly, and then I come fly in their backyard. But you, you do fly some of your smaller electric planes in the backyard, don't you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, you know, still, I, I, I give, I give wormy heaps about, uh, about um, not flying at home. <laughs> but uh, so, what was your first plane? Um, my first airplane was a multiplex Easy Star, so a foamy kind of trainer, really oh, simple yeah. to fly. Looks a bit like a, a Hobby King Bixler. That yeah, same same concept. Yeah, pusher motor kind of thing. And um, yep. did you did you learn on a sim or did you just get out uh, in the field and had no, an instructor? No, I didn't. I yeah, we got on the body box straight away, and then in a few weekends, I was flying by myself. It happened that quickly. So you really really took to it quite well. Yeah. And uh, during this time, like. I know that your dad is is trying to get into flying, but he's always by your side. Was he always there and keen to see you go flying? Yeah, for sure. My dad actually gives me heaps of support, or my whole family does. It's been awesome, and um, yeah, it helped me out a lot. And I wouldn't be in this; I wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't, you know, without him. Yeah, that is true. Like, uh, 
And that's actually, it's an interesting point you, you raised there that, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about getting young kids into um, into model flying and, and remind me to ask you a question about that later. But uh, you really have to have the support of the parents, you know, to get you to the field, get you back in the field and, and often to fund fund the, the model aeroplanes because they don't grow on trees, do they? But so after you, you, you know, after you flew that easy star, what was the next plane after that? Because I'm always just, you know, was I think the first plane is always a critical one, but the second plane is always an interesting one. You know, for me, as soon as, you know, I had a nitro trainer, and but I always knew once I got, you know, my, my bronze wings, as they were called back then, that I was going to get something else straight away and I, and I wanted to be aerobatic. What was your second plane? Uh, mine was like the... Uh... Phoenix or Sig, I can't quite remember, but it was the Jackaroot, so it's just a different scheme of the boomerang. Yeah. So right. a really high wing trainer, super easy to fly. Um, yeah, and then after that, it was a low wing trainer, so I kind of got a bit of both worlds with the high wing and the low wing, which are quite a bit different. You, it's, what's interesting is you went the um, the quite traditional route. You know, back in the day, people get a trainer like that. There, yeah, that Jackaroo, I think, was a boomerang from Seagull made for the Australian market, I think, in a special scheme. But um, And then you went the low wing. So often people, instructors would say, okay, get a high wing, nice and easy to fly, pretty forgiving. And then if you want something a bit more aerobatic, go to the low wing sort of trainer, which will spice up the uh, the thing. So you're flying nitro then, or were they electric? Uh, we, we went electric just for safety as I was quite young then. Yeah, starting is a bit tricky, but easier. It is easier with electrics. And then... How, how long did you have sort of the low wing uh, trainer for before you wanted something a bit bit more manoeuvrable? Oh, I was on that probably six to eight months, I'm, I'm guessing. I haven't really thought about that in a long time. Um, but yeah, I, after that, I think it was got a hundred and one sixty size, like they're called, like yeah. 30 cc range um, extra. And that taught me so much, um, just like going from a, you know, a standard size trainer to something bit bigger and more removable yeah. um so it teaches you a lot and yeah it's just it's been growing from there well they have got we'll talk more about how the planes have got bigger and bigger the uh now you're really positioned as an aerobatics guy and i classify you as you know a freestyle aerobatics guy so covering 3d flying and uh everything in between when did that become your thing? You know, the aerobatics thing was it was it early on, or uh, took you a bit of time to get into it? I was actually pretty early. I was after a while after flying like the Jackaroo and like the Kalmada, the high wing, low wing trainer. I always got kind of bored just flying around in circuits personally. So I wanted to spice it up a bit more. So I started doing rolls, loops, you know, just kind of that stuff. And then you know, I'd fly the whole flight inverted. You know, just to get a diff- different feel. And ever since there, I've just kind of been like, you know, there's always more to, to flying. So I just wanted to spice my flying up more and more. And were you, were you watching videos on YouTube and things like that for inspiration? Or how are you learning some of these maneuvers and, you know, learning new stick movements and things like that? I didn't even know flying on YouTube, like RC channels existed. So I was just going off my, my, my mind. So <laughs> I was just doing things that I thought were possible. I didn't know, you know, anyone exists. I didn't know Jace or, 
Martin Pickering or Bruno Brockman existed, I was just doing it off my mind to try and make my flying more interesting. Man, you were just crazy. Like, what kind of, how old would you have been then? 12? Oh, I would have been, yeah, 10, 11 when I 10, started 11? still, not much what? after it started. Don't you have the internet out there in Kyabra? But <laughs> I, I just didn't know it existed, to be honest. I, I know I know YouTube existed, but I was like, oh, you know, Noel's going to post, you know, someone flying on flying <laughs> on YouTube. So I never looked at it. You never Not. bothered to look. <laughs> Crikey, Wormy, I'll tell you what, you could have probably been a world champion by now if you had the internet. But the, um, well, you found the internet now. And yep. as I said earlier, you and I are sim buddies. If we get on the sim a lot, um, you, know, you, you send a message to me saying sim question mark and it's either i got to do work or <laughs> can't tonight or yep we're on and then you and i both have to wait the 20 minutes for our computers to start up because we're our sim computers are pretty old clunkers <laughs> but um but what but you know what once we get them going we're not too bad when did the simulator come into into you know your day-to-day practice um well when i started Oh, a bit after I started, probably about a year after I started. The same person that got me into the hobby, who also taught me, he's like, "Oh, the sim, I don't use it." You know, he chucked it my way, and I progressed on that more and more and practiced. And then this, I then I stopped flying on the sim for yonkers, and then I came back to it. And then I, you really see it, the sim kicking in your flying. Yeah, that's the thing. I think. Uh... Anybody that says to me that the sim is a waste of time, I just totally and utterly disagree because, and the, the, the reason why I give it is why is it that all the top gun pilots, like, you know, whether they be helicopters or 3D flyers, that, that kind of thing, they're all practicing the simulator. There, there's method yeah. of madness. Um, you know, in uh, last week's podcast, which, by the way, hasn't aired yet, Wormy, because we're recording this before, this podcast, but last week's podcast, we had you know Jonathan Segev talking about Edo Segev's flying, and and he talked about how much simulator practice Edo did, and even he he talked about how if you had to compete in America, he had to send his plane, and he had to send it four weeks prior to the event. So the only way that he could practice was on the simulator because he didn't have a backup airplane, you know, couldn't afford another airplane as a, a backup. So it was just on the sim. And as I said, we're flying with you a lot on the sim. And and what's interesting for me to notice is how similar your flying is between the sim and real life, that um, there's not a massive disconnect in in your skill level between the two. Uh, How do you go from like learning a new maneuver, a new little sequence on the simulator back to the flying field? Do you have any, you know, what are the challenges that you see? Um, like the sim's gonna be obviously easier and it's cheaper <laughs> if you do stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's it used like because we've got YouTube now. You search up how to do this on YouTube and go on, on the simulator, practice, 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 and then go out to the field. And for me, it, you know, a couple, couple, it takes a couple times obviously at the field to get it looking decent or actually to happen. Other than that, yeah, it's just from. Seem to realize it's pretty pretty easy so far. What are you and what are you looking for when you're taking you've learned a new like one of your new maneuvers that you've shown me is this pinwheel, which is I'm not going to try to explain it uh, on air because it's just too hard. But (laughs) if you want to know what a pinwheel is, just get on YouTube or something and have a look at what a pinwheel is. But you say you learned that pinwheel on the simulator and that the stick movements. 
when you take it to the flying field, what what are you focusing on? Um, just to get the maneuver to actually work. It, like it, as I said before, it just basically transfers over. Like the the sim's decently realistic to the the real thing. So yeah, this like you put the sticks in the same spots and it, it does it. And so it was pretty easy to do that. Yeah, but uh, you know. We talk a lot about precision in the flying. Like, there's, I think there's a lot of people that think that 3D flying is just about slapping sticks in the corners and, and that kind of thing. And I know there have been people that have claimed to be 3D pilots that go to flying clubs and you know just slap the sticks around and 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 basically ruin it for a lot of people. You know, I, I know of. I'm not going to mention the guy's name, but there's a guy down here in Victoria who has been through multiple clubs and tarnished the reputation of 3D as single-handedly that his name keeps on cropping up year after year as, oh, we don't want another you know person like this, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it, how do you describe 3D flying? Um, well, aerobatic um, precision, like that's the, that's the thing that looks good is like when you can land the plane directly you know, 90 degrees or, you know, up knife edge inverted or straight up. So precision is like the number one thing to make what makes freestyle 3D look really good. Other than that, like you, when you fly freestyle, you don't just shop the sticks in the corners. You put it in a certain spot and you release it or you go back to another stick position. Or when you want it to, you don't just like, oh, yeah, it's all right, that's enough, and then you put it back. It's everything's, you know, you're purposely doing it. You're not just shoving the sticks in corners. Well, you can see that the messy pilots, you can actually, you know, I've got this theory, you can hear messy pilots, the ones that release the sticks and let them center themselves and you get that stick wobble as they flick yeah. back to center, the noise. And, yeah, you're right. I think that it's um, being able to, to fly each maneuver rather than, um, you know, hope that you've released the sticks in time for the plane to, you know, finish with level wings. It's, you know, literally flying at each and every aspect of each manoeuvre. Now, it brings me to, you know, your competitive flying because you've now started in um, uh, IMAX scale aerobatic competition. Yep. When did you, well, first of all, why did you get into um, into IMAX and, and when did you, did you start competing in IMAX? Um, I got into IMAC just to help my flying, really. It's like, it's helped so much with precision. Same with F3A and other aspects of the hobby. Um, but yeah, it just, it helps with precision so much. And I actually got started, well, because of coronavirus, got started. My first comp was in 2019 at the end of the year, which was at the Yachuka Club. And then I had one in 2020 and I've had one so far in 2021. So it's kind of like a yearly thing at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just bad timing, Wormy. It's just bad timing. And how how did you go in those competitions? So you started off at, at the lowest level, basic, of course. But um, yeah, how did you go? Oh, I went pretty good in my first one, and then yeah, just you can you learn so like so so much in your first comp. Yeah. Like it's unbelievable how much you learn in your first comp, and yeah, it's just. It's been great so far. What were some of those learnings after your first comp? Um, just the like how things roll in the IMAX scene and like the way that they think that, well, how 
it should be flown. So like people like to do this differently, snaps differently, whatever differently. So yeah, it's just, that was the biggest one, just the way they like to get it flown. And then, yeah. And what plane were you using? I was using a Krill Katana 100cc when that's I first right. started. Yeah, and that's now, well, fast forward to... Sold. A, <laughs> you've sold that now, but after you banged it into the ground. But the, um, I was, what, a couple of weeks ago now, you, you had the, um, the latest IMAC comp down here in Victoria. And you've moved up from from basic, haven't you? You're a sportsman yeah. class something. So you, you won rang up from the bottom now. How, how did you go in the last comp? Uh, I managed to win that one. Um, but yeah, that sportsman, well, basic to sportsman was like the biggest like difference because you're just flying simple loops and stuff and then you're adding elements. Hmm. So that was really good to learn. Um, and yeah. Were you, were you practicing a fair bit? Oh, for sure. Like some weekends would go out Saturday, Sunday, all day practice, like just fuel up, you know, fly it, fuel up, fly it. And then me and, because we don't really, I don't really have much people at the club that flew IMAX. So me and Dad was just discussing on what it should look like. <laughs> We're just guessing. Yeah. And yeah, managed to get it looking all right. So, uh, so your dad's calling for you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. You need that. Um, It's good like if your dad learns the maneuvers, they can just sort of, tell you what they should look like as well but the um but the other aspect that i really want to get into is this freestyle competition stuff that you've just entered in as well and uh tell everybody Wemmy, how did you go on your first freestyle comp i won it um yeah that was really awesome freestyle like getting judged on it and like flying to the, like a proper four minute freestyle was just awesome really really cool we um so let me just explain what the freestyle comp is. So it's a the guys down here in in Victoria are under the guidance of Michael Andrusik, who who's been on the podcast, who's the uh, president of the Scale Aeros Association down here in Australia that runs IMAC. He's really um now wants to incorporate freestyle component to the competition, and it's not compulsory for all the IMAC IMAC pilots, just for those that want to. And I think uh, there are. Only, I think, three participants. We had um, Riley Sills, who's no no relation to mine, Wilmy. Everybody thinks he is, but their name is Sills with an S. Mine is S-I-L-L, Sill. But I still call him cousin and his dad uncle um, because we like to have fun with it. But Riley was there and he flew really well. And then there was also Aaron yep. Bones Gall, who's also been on the podcast from who's been multiple national yep. champion. And so it was great to see... Um, bones come down and, and have a bit of a fly which was good and i think having someone like that at the event helped you and riley to show you you know where where the benchmark is in australia for freestyle flying and i know that you really appreciate that because you rang me and told me oh this is great i learned so much and that kind of thing so but let's let's just you know for anybody that's looking at getting into freestyle aerobatics and, and that four minute freestyle which is four minutes to music and you know first of all what's the judging criteria for for, for a freestyle comp Oh, um, it's precision, choreography, and then use of flight area. And there's two more. I just can't think of it off yeah, my head. Yeah, there's a couple. But, but yeah, you're generally down that down that path of you know, um, of how you fly to the music, how you manage your airspace, um, the precision of your of your flying. Uh, I can't remember what the other two are, but it, it's basically that. If you have got that, you're going to be doing well. So, 
you well, we we'd been talking about it for a while, and um, when you said you're gonna they're gonna be running a freestyle comp, you wanted to do it. I think well, it was about three weeks before three weeks before the comp, you started preparing for it. <laughs> yeah, ah, these kids—they leave every last minute. So I get a I get a call from Wormy, and Wormy says, "Oh, can you help me with my freestyle?" You know, and the first step was what's the first step? Uh, pick music, which is the very hard bit. Yeah, now it's something that you and I have been playing around with for a while. Um, with music, yeah. we had a few few goes at it, and and um, our, what was our theory behind selection of music? The the what you have to pick something that the judges like, and not what you like. Yeah. Now we had a, Wormy, <laughs> Wormy sent me a song. We know I don't know why we're laughing, but they're about to find out. Wormy sent me a song. And goes, oh, how about this song to start off with? And I said, Wormy, this is the most depressing song. I said the judges are going to want to be killing themselves whilst they're on the flight line. It was just a depressing, uh, and I could still remember that song. It's just I'm thinking, oh gee, no. So. But yeah, hundred percent right. He's and 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 the great man Edo Sega taught me that. He said you got to pick a, a music that the judges are going to like, right? And so one of the things we did is we we talked about the demographic, you know, of the judges. That if you've got you know a judge that's in their fifties, say, well, they were probably in their prime in the eighties or something like that, you know, early eighties, seventies. Um, so you can't go and pick the latest, you know, thumping hip-hop song kind of thing because i just go oh, i hate this song so we looked for what verse we looked for different styles of music that you could fly well to and then try to pick yep. songs that would really Everyone rev the knows. judges up yeah and so what did we end up with i can't remember what the opening song was um um i think it's the one i picked it was numb by lincoln park which that's right cool. which actually that was a really so yeah numb from lincoln park which um which has the the whole start sequence of the songs really good to to build up this tension. So it was an awesome song. And then we yeah. went into uh, Motley Crue, Kickstart My Heart for a bit of uh, yeah. high pace kind of stuff. And then brought it back a tad with Queen. What was this Queen song? Oh, don't, don't stop me now. Don't stop me now. Don't, yes, don't yeah. stop me now. And then after and that, then and then Wormy like pulled one out of the box after that, which was after that was, oh no, Adele, um, yeah, Adele. Rolling in the Deep. Yep. So now we brought that brought that tempo back again, so um, even slower, and then into a song from Star Wars, which was like epic, which might be... Some soundtrack, yeah, yeah. from Star Wars. And, and, and my boy Charlie, when he heard heard that being played, he thought that was, <laughs> that was great because he's a big Star Wars fan. You know? And he actually he said to me, I said, oh, there's a, there's a video of Wormy doing his freestyle, and he said, oh, I want to watch it. I want to see how he flew to Star Wars. But the Star Wars was quite a slow sort of, epic song where yep. you could get down low and do a hover and then you finished off with what was it a theme song from something else um Pirates Pirates of caribbean. caribbean yeah and that was an awesome ending song absolutely awesome ending song so we went through this exercise of, of toing and froing with music and you had the first go putting it together didn't you yeah i had a, I had a little crack at it and then you helped obviously helped me we did a well, little bit so we what we did then is like the challenge with the four minute freestyle is you've got to you gotta have multiple you know, most songs go for like three and three and a half minutes kind of thing. So you can't just play yeah. one song. And so we, we had to do some work in timing when to cut music out and bring other stuff in. And you know what? I reckon in hindsight now, when we when we did it, it was sheer luck that we ended up with that four minutes finishing when we did. 
I don't know yeah, how that happened. Pretty <laughs> because, <lucky. laughs> so, because as you can imagine, you know, you got your intro. You, you know, we had what four or five songs, so we had to try to splice them together. So, so we did a bit of work with that. But you know, what did we learn from it? One. Um, well, what what did you learn from it? And I'll tell you what I learned from it. Oh, I, it's got to flow so much. Like you can't just have you know some really rough music like doing. I'm oh, not rough, but like intense music that slows straight away. You got to have something that's smoothing it the it out a little bit. Yeah, and 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 like to me, it was that having that light and shade in the music that gave you something to perform to, and the uh, beat. Yeah, yeah, and then the other thing we looked at is. Um, epic parts of the song where you could really do a great manoeuvre that would stand out. Um, yeah. and, and that was, I suppose, where we got to that. Our next phase was what? After we had our music down, what did we do next? Oh, just get on the sim and try and make it work. Yeah, so then I think I was... Uh, Wormy kept on sending me messages like, can you get on? We need to have a chat about the freestyle. And um, <laughs> I and I had I had all sorts of things going on at the time. And anyway, Wormy did some stuff, and then we finally got on. And then um, you'd start to think about some stuff. And then what we did is we went back through the music, and like I was saying earlier, how we had um, key moments in every song where we wanted to have a big maneuver, have a, yeah, a bang maneuver, so it stood out. Yeah, and so. We started thinking about what those parts of the song were where you need to have something that would stand out and then work out what kind of maneuver would work. And so that was one other session. We I think we covered all the the five songs kind of thing and, and what the key maneuvers are. And then what did we what happened after that? What was the next step? Um This is practice a lot. Yeah, the, I think in my life. you had to go well no, you had to go away and fill the gaps so we had like oh you know oh, at this yes. point we want you to go into a blender and pull into a flat spin and at this yeah, point this... we want a waterfall at this point we want to hover um and then connect you, the maneuvers yeah then you went away and then uh let wormy go for about a week and he came back a week later and we got back on the on the sim and he showed me and i went man he, he's got some really good things going here it's coming together nicely now once you sort of had that sequence sort of that rough idea of what you wanted to fly and by the way it was all done on the sim when you took it to the flying field, how did you go? Like, you know, you were practicing the music on the sim, but when you took it to the flying field, how were those first few flights to music? Oh, very stressful. Because <laughs> as soon as you talk off, I didn't realize how fast things happened and stuff. So, you know, like, you had to shrink it down and then you like, oh, I have to go back to this, take this out. Oh, it's too rushed here. Oh, there's not enough things here. Like, it's, it's a lot of work to just do it from... Like sim to real life, what the was, first time. What was the biggest challenge? Do you reckon? Oh, just the timing for sure. Absolutely, yeah. the timing. And that's what I think. Because and when you think about it, the timing of the freestyle is really, really critical. And yeah, because you knew that there was certain that the plane needed to be in certain in a certain Positions place. In the sky. And yeah, yeah, with these things. And what was the other philosophy we had? Start and ends. Oh. Oh, ground and ground. Like, yeah. yeah, ground, take off from when the music starts and land when the music starts. From the from my judging that I've done at the China Top Show, we always, and again, I always mention the That's a very hard bit to yeah, get right. Nothing beats starting your freestyle routine on the ground and finishing on the ground at four-minute mark. But a lot of people don't do it because it's just like taking off on the ground, yeah, people do it, but finish, there's a lot of air finishes. And they're just... 
there's nothing more exciting than getting that timing right so that when the music finishes, your wheels touch the ground. Like that is just yes. absolutely spot on because anybody can, you know, because there's a, there's a defined start and there's a defined ending. So that was the other criteria that, that you know, I gave Wormy. I said, you must start on the ground and you must end on the ground. Now, you went away and practice and, and okay, it's been like you had well, probably two weeks of practice, really? Didn't you? Like, oh, probably, probably less than that, to be honest. Yeah, because we only had a, you didn't went out, you didn't go to the field every day to go and practice. But you, how many flights did you reckon you did in real life before you actually before the competition? Oh, I think I got eight, eight flights, eight in real life. So, so Wormy's had eight yeah. flights. He turns up to the first competition, three three people in freestyle, which is by the way in Australia is a good number. Uh, that's a really good point. yeah <laughs> in australia and, <laughs> and he he ended up winning um but you know you're not running around going oh i'm a champion are you no no nah. the uh, there's still some work to go what what was how are your nerves when you had to fly freestyle because you know it is it's a pretty nerve-wracking kind of thing but how did you go oh for the first 30 seconds i was absolutely shaking my kneecaps off but after that, I kind of got chilled out and kind of made it work. Yeah. And then how was Riley? What did, what was his, what did he say? About my freestyle. No, about his freestyle. How did he go? Was he nervous? Oh, yeah, he was very, very nervous. He, could, he said, he's like, oh, that's, oh, I could see him offline. Yeah. <laughs> the nerves. But I, I, I saw Riley's flight on, on a video and he, he did a really good job, I think. Both of you for your first freestyle comps ever, just yeah. really exceeded everybody's expectations. And I'm not just saying that because you're on the podcast and you're a friend, but um, you know, even Michael Andrisic sent me a message saying, you know, I believe you've been helping Wormy with his flight. He did really well. And I said, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, always room for improvement because what, what did you learn from, from that first comp in your flight? Um, well, just after watching like Bones fly, like that was like a big step up. You're like, oh, yeah, I need to add this, you know, change that. Um, like, but other than that, like you learn like a lot. It's like, it's just my first conference freestyle. I learned so much. Need to change this, need to change that. And you see what kind of works better when you see other people fly. Well, what were some Does of those things sense? though? Give me some details where it's. Oh, just the way it flows is the main one. And then just like, big bang maneuvers because when you're flying yourself you're like oh that's kind of cool <laughs> but when you see someone else like do it or like do a different maneuver like down low or whatever you're like wow that's cool yeah. so well, that's, yeah my feedback to Wormy after i saw the video was what was the first thing i said it's gotta be lower make it yeah lower yeah like your, your precision is pretty good um you know you're quite strong right. in that regard but when you if you're a judge and this is a tip for anybody that's out there flying freestyle is you got to pretend you're a judge and what would they want to see well what's going to wow them when you're executing you know if you're flying at 200 feet versus 50 foot well what's going to look better and more appealing to the judges flying at 50 foot so you've got to get yeah. that confidence to bring it bring it down lower but um what's your plan now with this with this freestyle routine that you're working on are you going to stick with it for a while or you know what are you, what is your plan uh, stick with it with the music, um, but just change it up, make things look a bit nicer. Obviously, practice more instead of eight flights. Um, but yeah, just make things, just change the maneuvers around 
Yeah, and practice is the main one. Yeah, that was the other one I think that, that really Aaron Gall showed you is, you know, there were there were certain sections in your routine that was a bit dull in a kind of way. And and you needed to spice it up in these certain sections. And I think you've learned that and that's what you'll you'll now refine. And um nothing beats repetition, you know, with freestyle. It, the more you practice it, the more uh the more comfortable you get with it. And when you turn up on competition day, it's almost like instinctively you can fly the routine. So really, really amazed at where you started only, what, four weeks ago now or something to where you ended up yeah. is uh, is just phenomenal. So there's big things to come from Wormy, um, the 15-year-old uh, gun in the making at the moment. Now, let's talk a bit about aeroplanes, right? Because... I know you've you've owned a fair few planes, and I, I know that. well you you have because you bang them into the ground now and again, and you definitely don't clean your planes. You've got an aversion to cleaning your planes. Oh, I use the microfiber towels now. It's all good. Oh, now it took you two years. The first time I met you, <laughs> your plane looked like it was thirty years old. It was probably like two weeks old because it had Echuca dust all over it. It was the filthiest <laughs> plane at the flying field. And from that point on, as I've been saying, you clean your gear. It looks terrible. But um, so tell us what some of the some of the the, the, the big aerobatic planes that you sort of had over the time now. Um, well, I've only had like two main ones. I've still got my ninety-one inch laser, which I'm competing in freestyle now. And then the Krill Katana I used for iMac, which I recently sold off, and then brought a hundred and four inch laser after flying Michael Andrew six. Absolutely amazing airplane. Extreme Flight has been a dominant brand for you, so you're buying Extreme. But you, you had a 30cc as well. You had a slick, didn't you? Yep, I had the uh, 74 inch. Slick. Yeah, and what happened to that? You hit that in the ground as well. Oh yeah, that had a rough life. <laughs> and you've got a small. You got a 60 inch, haven't you? Yep, I've got the uh, 60 inch extra, which is uh, pretty cool. Yeah, and you got a foamies cool. as well. Any foamies? Uh, I got a Krakiak, which uh, sad. A few cracks in it, yeah. Um, but yeah, that that foam is teach you so much, so much, and they're just like you can glue them back together, so it's pretty easy. Is that what you'd be flying out in the backyard? Uh, yep. And then I also had the uh, 52 inch, sorry, hobby shops, 51 inch, put a lot of flights on 51 inch, not 51 yeah. inch. Yeah. I put a lot of flights in the backpack with that. A lot of flights. Like one day I put 16 alone <laughs> in a couple hours. <laughs> yeah, but that's what you need to do though, Wormy. And you know what? You're a school yeah. kid. You can afford to do it when you're not working, yep. <laughs> milking cows or something. The um, so, it's, so this new plane now, so the Katana has been sold off, which I believe Aaron Gahl has added another yep, plane a, to his hangar because he needed another it's gonna one. It's going to be a tow plane now. He's going he's gonna to turn into a plane. tow plane apparently for gliders. Uh, the, yep. the Gala hangar is probably one of the best hangers you'll in, in the country in Australia. They've really got a massive selection of of uh, mainly oh, warbirds, war aerobatic planes, um, jets, you name it. But big stuff. You know, I've never seen the Gals flying small stuff. So you know, good to see it's gone to a good home, and they'll look after it and tug a lot of planes up with it. But the um, you've decided to go with Extreme Flight Laser after flying. Um, Michael Andrusik's uh, laser that he lent you after the uh, slide yep. mishap with the Katana. Um, yep. How's that airframe? How, how that compared to other things that you've oh, seen? Absolutely amazing. Just so precise and like so agile. It's just 
absolutely amazing. I've got the 91 inch too, so I've been flying that for a while now. And yeah, after I've flown that, and then I also flew an 104 inch, and because it's Marcus, I need to get it set up for an IMAC plane. Like, also, I'm going to do tonight too, and it just flies so beautifully. It's amazing. How does it compare to the 91? Going from the 91 inch to the 100. Oh, I'd say the 104 inch flies a bit slower, as in like it just feels a bit more floatier. Obviously, because probably a bigger size, but yeah, it just feels a bit floatier, a bit lighter in a way, and then a bit more precise. Yeah, yeah, it's well, the main one. That extra size probably helps it with the um. So, what's your plan? What are you going to fit your plane out with? Uh, it's going to have a DA one twenty in the, in it, and then a JR eight ninety eighty nine eleven servos. Oh, the old trusty eighty nine elevens, and you're using JR radio now, aren't you? Yep. Steve Richardson's done a great job in uh, converting the iMacers to JR. Richo was a another guest. Oh, man, all the guns. Richo was on the podcast as well. Yeah, it was a great chat with Richo. Um, D, uh, what's the name of the company? The D-Force Aviation. D-Force, D-Force Aviation, but in Australia, I always forget. Uh, RC Depot. RC Australia. Depot, that's the one. Go and check him out on on, uh, on the web for all your uh, JR gear here in Australia. Uh, so... Has it, did the laser arrive yet? Um, I've got the cowl in the wings. The fuselage is apparently still in Queensland. Yeah, it's a bit weird at the moment, this whole COVID situation. <laughs> As Wormy and I speak, we're, we're in lockdown again here in Victoria, but apparently it's only going to be a five-day lockdown. By the time this podcast comes out, we should yeah. be free, but uh, we're currently in the midst of a five-day lockdown, and that's why I'm getting podcast interviews lined up because what else are we going to do, Wormy? We can't go flying. So might as well do this. But the, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll come. And uh, how long do you think it'll take you to build it? Oh, I, I get pretty keen. Uh, probably around under two weeks. I hope to have it done by, hopefully. Make it, build it nice. Yeah, taking shit. Yeah, of though. course. Um, making my own extensions this time, using all power box items. So yeah. Did you run a power box? That's nice in the, in the No, not just running the um, JR hub. So it's like a power box, just a power safe receiver. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's um, yeah, they're pretty good. And then you, you just run two batteries in them for redundancy. Yeah, and your soft switch, it's simple. Yeah, have you? Are you going to run a battery for your ignition or one of the uh, Tech Aero Ibex? Um, I've thought about the Tech Aero, but I'm probably going to go with the uh, ignition battery option. Oh, I don't know. I've gone to the Ibex situation. Um, so a lot of people have. A lot of people have. It's just it makes, it makes life simple, but it does. I don't know. I just thought I'd just thought I'd go with the ignition battery. I've always run ignition battery, never had a problem, so I'll stick with that. Yeah. So whatever's uh for reliability. Yeah, that's what you want. Just anything that's reliable. Uh, what prop are you gonna run on it? Uh twenty eight twelve Falcon. Uh with a Falcon spinner too, so look nice and pretty. Yeah, the Falcon spinners are nice. The um yeah, there's all this, this a lot of discussion with the 100 cc size. We should really call them 120 cc size because not many people are running 100 ccs anymore. But um, well, some people are running 130s. <laughs> oh yeah, with the DLE 130 now. You know, I've seen yeah. I've seen a laser with a DLE 130 and uh, in China, and um, yeah, it's phenomenal. And they put a lot of weight in the tail of the plane. The motor's a little bit heavier, but it's got heaps of grunt. And um, yeah, saw this laser in flying. Uh, China in Sasha Jaconia, Martin Branwell or fuel flew it and they said it was just phenomenal. This is just too much fun. This is just 
it did everything uh, quite well. Now the um, yeah, the, oh, I was talking about props and and there's this lot of discussions going on on prop sizes for hundred cc size planes. And I've got a twenty nine by nine um, on one of my models, the three D Hobby Shop Slick hundred cc, and then on the extra hundred cc, I've got I think it's a twenty eight ten or something like that. But I think some people even We'll get down to a twenty-seven eleven or twenty-seven twelve or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think there's people running like twenty-seven elevens, twenty-eight by nine point fives, twenty-eight tens, twenty-eight elevens, twenty-eight twelves. It's just like endless, but <laughs> on the amount of props you can try. You've already got a prop ready to go, haven't you? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Just try that. See how you go. It should be fine. The um, well, that's gonna be fun. Getting a new getting a new planes always good, and that uh, laser is an awesome. Awesome plane. You know, you've got to set it up for freestyle as well. You've got to put some smoke tank in it. <laughs> no, I'll keep this one for iMac only. You may see a pop or hover once in a while, but it's just going to keep it nice and iMac-ish. Small arms. <laughs> I reckon you'll, um, yeah, you'll be popping into hover more than once. <laughs> now, the, um, you know, with all this practice that you're doing, you're only 15 years of age. Yeah, do you have a vision with your flying of where you'd like to see yourself? Um, a little bit. I'd obviously like to progress my way to IMAX to to the higher classes, um, and then freestyle, of course, too. That's what I'm really passionate about. So I'd like to, you know, get high in that and compete. You know, within the world, should be awesome. The who's some of the pilots that you look up to? Aerobatic pilots. Oh, obviously, Jace. Uh, Martin Pickering, Granit Brockman, Ido, um, and then like Santiago, Andrew Sill. Andrew Sill, yeah. I was going to say myself. Um, yeah, and like Spencer, Newquist. Yeah. Like, it's awesome to watch. Yeah, just mainly them. So I always kind of looked up that. Well, it's interesting that when you, like, I've met some of those those people and spoken to some, like Gurnos and, uh, Jace, you know, again, been on the podcast and spent some time with him in China. And what's interesting with all these guys, uh, they all, they also looked up to other people and learnt from them. And you know, the, the thankfully we got something called the internet, which means we can see what other people are doing. You know, people are filming their flights, and we we get an understanding of different different things that work in the air from a sequence perspective. If you're flying freestyle aerobatics, you know, like what can you do in knife edge? What looks great? You know, and yeah, you can tell what looks great because you go, "Wow, that that was a nice little little sequence." Then, um, but yeah, it was interesting that how they all had someone else to look up to and aspired to be like, and then they end up almost, you know, there's almost this constant cycle happening that you see in freestyle that you, you know, people will come in, especially younger um, guys and girls will come into the um, freestyle scene. And what we generally see is that once they finish school, go to university or get a job, their flying goes a bit quiet. And so that opens up the opportunity for the next batch of young guns to come and fill their position because they're the ones that are sort of pushing the boundaries. Because if you look at, say, take someone like Jace Dutia, the guy has pushed the boundaries as to what freestyle flying is about and what you can achieve. Like, like. I, I, I can't, in all of my time of watching aerobatics, I don't think there's anybody in this modern era that's pushed it as much as Jace has. And what we even saw is the change in model design 
as a result, you know, and, you know, Jonathan Segev last week talked about that difference between the European and the American freestyle style of flying, where the European is very much, you know, fly to the beat of the music and in time with the music, where the American is more a bit, um, a bit more brash out there, not necessarily flying to the music, using the music as inspiration, but really in a, in a lot of energy, you know, higher, higher speeds, yeah. higher roll rates. And Jace's roll rates are just unbelievable. But the thing that gets me about Jace is the precision. I, I just oh I don't know, I don't know how he does. I really it's <laughs> like he's got that thing at the end of his little finger and he's just pushing it around. That I, I've seen him fly in really strong winds in China. Like planes were crashing. It was that windy. There were people flying kites in the in the field next door to the flying field. It was that windy, and you could not tell when Jace was flying that it was windy at all. Everything was just absolutely spot on. And you know, again, he came from you know he did some IMAC and and went through that route, but. Uh, a lot, a lot of time, a lot, a lot of focus, and a lot of talent, I'd say as well. But uh, yeah, it's just you got to look after these guys and, and and learn from them. And I think uh, you're well on your way because your repertoire of tricks keeps on growing, growing, growing. But the other thing that's interesting, I don't know whether I mentioned it's on the podcast. I always like to tell people that the the, the male brain isn't fully developed to the age of 28. So you're still, you know, your brain's underdeveloped, Wormy, which means you don't yeah. mind flying a big plane low. Whereas me, nah. old enough to be your it's father, scary. is like, oh, don't get too low. It's an expensive plane, you know, and it took a lot of time to build. And, you know, if you break it, it's a lot going on. What, what's your dad's view on the way that you fly? Does he sit there and say, um, go a bit higher? Or? He looks away a few times. He's, he's getting better. It's getting better. But, yeah, he, he used to look away a lot. I don't think he even watched my flying for a very long time. What's your, <laughs> now what's, but your dad's getting into the fly. Is your dad flying more now? Um, yeah, a little bit more. Um, just we're back in lockdown now, so kind of at the moment, but yeah, my dad's what we are going in e flight, e flight, yeah, the uh, super cub, humming trainer, yeah, kind of type of airplanes, the um, the foam is, yeah, getting him on that, that's been really good, teaching him a lot. So. He's got a big Cessna, hasn't he? Yep. Which uh yeah, it's just sitting there at the moment. You love dust. You yeah, cup, yeah, clean it. You, you love that system, don't you? <laughs> That's a cool aeroplane. Me and Dad, like from when we I started flying, and then like him, we've always loved the Cessna one eight twos. I just absolutely loved them, so we had to get our hands on one. We managed to do that. Well, they do look good, and uh, you do like getting onto the sim where you've modified a Cessna to become a three D <laughs> Cessna that uh, you absolutely love. I think I've got one as well, but the um yeah that. I always say there's certain models that look more realistic than others in the air, and um, the two that come to mind is the C- a Cessna. Like any Cessna that I've seen fly looks like a real Cessna, and Pawnees. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Pawnee has got a very distinctive look in the air in the way that it looks. I think it's that fuselage shape that gives it that unique look, and and seeing some of those fly just blows my mind how good they do look. Um, uh, you know, in the air. So during normal times, you know, in another mini COVID lockdown which touch wood hopefully stays mini uh how often are you getting out to the field oh uh, once a week um but then i do obviously fly home phones and small electrics so i'd be fine just the big stuff i used to and then like this with school and stuff now i don't really have as much time you don't do any school work you tell me you don't do any school work <laughs> 
<laughs> you live on 60 acres. You ask me to go on the sim almost every second night, right? And what do you tell yeah, me? Well, you don't I, have I, enough time to go flying in your backyard. I do. But, like, obviously, I get home and then I go charge batteries and the time then. It's easy just to jump on the sim, really. So, let's do that. Oh, I don't know. You live in the dream. <laughs> you've got you've got sixty acres around you to go and fly, and you tell me you show. We looked on Google Maps once. You show me where you live, <laughs> and you're trying to make excuses that there are trees in the way or something. And I didn't see any trees anywhere. No, there is trees. Trust me. Well, can't you pick a gap or just get rid of a few trees? <laughs> Nobody's going to miss a, a couple of trees, especially if you come down from building a strip to fly off. Well, yeah, just, it'd be great. We could have weekends. Like, it's the small stuff, like sixty inches. Yeah, or any better, we could fly sixty inch. But off any bigger than that, you kind of you're asking for a bit too much. And I don't want to like annoy the neighbors too much. You told me the neighbors would be fine. Just invite them around for a fly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I don't think they'll be that keen. The well, you you mentioned your sixty inch plane. That's relatively new. What what have you got running in that? Uh, dual sky motor. Dual Sky Servos and a Hobby Wing ESC. The, the Dual Sky stuff's been really good. Has it? Yeah, it's loving it so far. It's it's one of those brands. Like, okay, I, I'm a bit biased with Dual Sky because I know I've met the owner a couple of times, Orville Sheen, and he's this awesome bloke. And I've been through the factory. And I, another shout out from one of my videos. Go to the Flat Out RC YouTube channel and you see a video of my walkthrough of how a Dual Sky motor is made. I literally going step by step with Orville, the owner of the business, and him explaining to me and me then, you know, presenting it to the world on how they build their, their dual sky motors. And and when I can tell you what, that place was just phenomenal. It was it was like a lab, like a science lab. It was that clean. And he says that's what you need. You know, yeah. when you're working with electronics, you need to have this clean environment. And the thing I think that blew my mind is Orville is a really, really keen flyer. Like it is basically his life, his whole entire life revolves around flying model airplanes. And he's trying to build these high quality, you know, parts, you know, um, motors and batteries and ESCs and things like that to, to a world standard, like a high standard. And And he does sell them, all around the world, you know, through Europe and to the US and, of course, down here in Australia. Um, and, you know, he'd tell me about the wire that they use and the motors and the magnets and the importance of the right magnets that have been matched as far as their strength and then how those magnets are bonded to the to the motor and, and all that kind of stuff is just... And then the quality control. Like... Oh, it's absolutely amazing. Quality is absolutely there. Yeah, yeah. and it, like I always say, I say to people, go and try a dual sky motor, and without fail, people will then ring me up and go, that dual sky motor is the greatest. And then people will go and fly another plane or have another plane that doesn't have a dual sky motor, and they go, it's not the same as my dual sky. I'm like, yeah, I yeah. know these dual skies are awesome. Now, what about the servos? Because you put pretty decent servos in it. Oh, um, there's some, there's some really, really good servos. Aluminium cased. Yeah. Uh, uh, metal gear and all that, with and they're like they're mini size servos. Yeah, twelve that, kilos of torque. Yeah, that that like mid size. Are. Yeah, got heaps of yeah, he, twelve he, kilos. But they're, they're a lot for that size. But they're fast as well. Yeah, and hell yeah. all digital Super of course. Fast. But um, yeah, no, I'm, I've I've really been a, become a big fan of the dual sky gear. I actually 
regret not having some dual sky motors in some of my planes and thinking about retrofitting them because I know that I'll get a performance gain from putting the dual sky in then. So, and then even some of the, you see some of the dual sky, like 60cc size motor, oh, it's just a work of art. Like sitting it on your desk at work and just staring at it would be just a good thing to invest in. It's just awesome. But uh, <laughs> they, they do a really good job. So, you know, well done to Orville. And I, I sent Orville, it was Chinese New Year. And so I sent Orville a message and wish him happy, happy New Year. He's, a, he's an awesome guy. He's a great family. So I uh, hope he's doing well over there and go and buy his gear. He's a good guy. Now, um, so yeah, that was a 60-inch extreme flight laser, isn't it? You got extra. Extra, extra. okay. Because most, yeah, most of your planes are lasers. How have you found you know those extreme flight planes? Because they're not the cheapest you know, aerobatic planes out there, but pretty much think that they're number one. And being in China, everybody looks up to, to sort of the extreme flight as being the benchmark. How have you, what's your experience been like with extreme flight planes? They're absolutely flawless, like absolutely amazing. You get your wing bags, like with every model. I got wing bags with a little 16-inch, like how cool is that? Um, The the quality is absolutely amazing. The carbon fiber and plywood work is there. The packaging is even really good too. So (laughs) definitely not going to get damaged in in shipment. Um, But yeah, the quality is is really there. They are are good and I think... I want to get Chris Hinton on the podcast from Extreme Flight because he, you know, he's a good guy and and again designing models to a high standard and and they sort of you know I've had chats with Chris before and he sort of knows what's what works in a model plane now they're just doing some slight refinements. Um, they were also I think one of the first companies to have these printed schemes and, and you've had some of those printed schemes where you know the covering yep. is printed in different stuff. How, what's the experience like having a plane that's got a printed scheme? It's different. It's it's good though because you don't have all the uh, like with layers of covering. You don't have you know all your pinstripes falling off and all that. So that was really good. I'm not having to worry about that at all. Just iron it once in a while, and it's all good. I have a problem with the clear coat on black pinstriping yeah. coming off. That's yeah, I've had that problem before. It does It's just it's just a clear coating you know over the front but uh, over the top but. Um, yeah, it's just I don't know. It happens on most of the black, I think. But um, but yeah, those printed schemes. I do know that uh, I spoke to the 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 owner of the factory who builds the planes for um, Extreme Flight, and yeah, he came up with the technology to be able to do it. But he says I don't really like doing it. It costs more to do. No yeah, doubt. he says it's very labor intensive to do it. But no doubt over time that's going to change. You know, with, with the the way the coverings are made, it would probably become easier and easier. But um, but yeah, but the latest one, your hundred cc, that's just the normal scheme, isn't it? Red, red and white scheme. Yeah, just the just the normal red scheme. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. It's a good plane. Now you fly at the Achuca Flying Club, or what's Achuca Moama? No, what's Model Aero Club? Achuca Moama Model Aero Club. Yeah, now, and that's E-Mac. a start. That's a state field, so anybody who's a double yeah. member is welcome to go. And I've been there a number of times, and it's a it is a good place to fly. Um, what's the club been like? Well, you know, why do you love going to the club there? Uh, awesome. Uh, the great facilities. Like it's improved so much in the last couple of years. Like you know, I've got a hot shower now. I've got you know, like obviously the barbecue stove, everything in there, and just it keeps on improving. A little undercover um, pit area so, now. Yeah, that's 
get extended and I think it's going to get concreted. Um, so that'd be a nice concrete underneath the air would be really nice. That'd be great. Like nothing beats undercover, especially here in summer, you know, where we, we don't want to get out of the sun. Yeah, it does get a bit warm. Yeah. Yeah. You are a younger guy and we don't see a lot of younger people getting into the hobby. Um, you know, my local flying club down here in Melbourne, they're doing a pretty good job. They've got a, you know, probably about six young members, which is more than most clubs, but it is a very big club. Out of Chuka, there, you're a bit, you're on your own when it comes to being one of the junior members. Um, yep. Yeah, um, I'm the only one there currently. One of the, uh, do you reckon you're getting come and then come and go? <laughs> what about some of your, yeah, yeah. can you get some of your siblings involved, maybe? What do you, You've got a brother and a sister, haven't you? My brother was flying for a very long time. Well, he kept flying for a couple of years. Okay. And he was, like, he was really nailing it. And then, yeah, just typical Nintendo Xbox kind of stuff uh, took over his to, life. We need so. to get him back. <laughs> well, that's the, it's a funny thing. Like, Are you into those kind of things as well, playing like computer games? No, not interested at all. Only a real flight. That's all I look at. Yeah, see, this, so... so so for, I find it so boring. Yeah. <laughs> Personally, now, I just I can't look at it for more than twenty minutes. For anyone that's older out there that says, Oh, we're gonna get younger kids in and all they want to do is play computer games. Well, it's true. It's like anything, you know, take fishing for example. There's most of the population aren't that interested in going fishing, you know, young kids and stuff, but then you get a few really keen ones that are just wired that way where they don't want to sit behind a computer like yourself. Like if you're sitting behind a computer, you're flying flying a um you know a simulator and uh and i think that's what it is it's just finding that that person that has that mindset where they want to do something that's more physical and um you know attainment of skill you know because as you know yeah. i mean you don't pick up model flying straight away it, well we have that experience of my boy charlie getting on the sim right and he loves it yeah. he goes is that wormy and it's normally if, if i'm sitting in front of the television with the sim on flying with wormy he goes, is that worm person? Oh, I'm going to get on. And he grabs the transmitter from me and he goes, wormy, wormy, watch this, right? He's even created, he created a move <laughs> called the worm, didn't he? Yep. Yeah, he named the move sure. after you. He goes, oh, this is the worm. <laughs> and so Charlie loves computer games and, and he can actually, he can he knows how to turn a plane and, and his orientations management kind of thing isn't too, too bad. But like he wants to learn how to hover, but he can't even land the plane on the runway. And yeah. he's and what does he say to us? Why do you need to know how to land? You don't need to know how to land. <laughs> well, what happened? How do you get the plane back? What? Just <laughs> plonk it in the ground, buy a new model every time. I said, the real world's not like the sim, but uh, I want to. I really want to get him out. I put him on a glider, and he could do it. But um, yeah, I want to. I want to really want to encourage him to come to the field. But he's still in love with the computer games. If 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 you were advising, uh, you know, the powers that be, that are you know trying to encourage new participation in the hobby what what do you think they'd need to do to get more kids involved uh advertisements would be the first one just like advertise it you know you know come and try days well there's the next one you know come and give it a try it's only one way you're gonna see what it's well, well i agree with you i like 100 agree with you that it's not rocket science you know you got introduced by your neighbor all right. Yeah. If your neighbour never introduced you to it, then you'd be none the wiser because, as we can tell, you didn't get onto the internet very much. <laughs> in, you know, 
driving the RC cars, which which are fun as well. But um, what about at your school? Do, do the other do your friends know that you fly model planes, or they're not interested? Yeah, well, they know I they know I fly them, and uh, yeah, it's all right. And you know, <laughs> but they're into other stuff like motorbikes, Xbox, and all the other stuff. So. Oh. No, they don't really find it interesting. <laughs> like, oh, it's a model airplane, you know. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one of those things that uh, I think um, with kids, sometimes they need to see the exciting aspects of the hobby, like uh, aerobatics, three D helicopters, even FPV Pilot drones. Racing. Yeah, you know, it's something that's got a bit more of an adrenaline rush to get them excited because that's what they're looking for versus, say, gliders or scale, you know, kind of stuff. And, yeah, you see people interested in scale, but to get someone in, you've got to show them the exciting end, I reckon. And that's why if you go to an event where there's like a display day where they're showcasing different types of planes, the crowd always loves to see the jets fly. They love to see um, 3D helicopters and they love to see aerobatic flight as well. And they're the three yeah. three things that you've got to show a young person if you want to get them excited at an event like that. So if you're organizing a display day, you must have those three components because the jets will give you the speed, the sound, and the smell. 3D helis are always like unbelievable to watch, you know, how, how yeah. low they get and how hard they fly. And then, of course, the 3D aerobatics and stuff like that is, is, is the thing. Now, Wormy, to finish up, uh, you know, I always ask, a, a, you know, you listen to these podcasts, you always know I ask this question to finish up, which is uh, what has been your favourite model? So please tell uh, me. My 91-inch laser, I've learnt so much with that plane and came a long way with it. It's just been absolutely amazing to me and yeah, it's just <laughs> it's helped me so much improve my flying. Well, I think the... Uh... I think what the 91-inch laser taught you is how to clean a plane because you keep it pretty clean <laughs> and you need to. You know, that that chuka dust, when it blows in, gee, it gets everywhere into your plane. But, um, yeah, that, that I think Extreme Flight really nailed that laser design, which was interesting. That It's awesome. I remember back in the 80s when I was a kid that um, people would build lasers because sort of lasers were sort of around on the scene at that time. But people, most manufacturers moved away from the laser and, you know, built yaks and sukhois and extras and edges and all that kind of stuff. But then I think it really was Extreme Flight that brought the laser back. Then Pilot RC followed and had laser as well. And I don't know, I can't remember who had their laser first, but my gut feel it might have been Extreme Flight. But um, yeah. but that laser, that Extreme Flight laser really was that next step up. And I always, people say to me, you know, I'm not in the market for any planes, but they said to me, what plane would I like to have? And I always say the 104 laser from Extreme Flight. But close to that is the latest Pilot RC slick in the um, in that crazy green-blue scheme. Oh, oh, I love that scheme. That's an awesome, awesome scheme. Stands uh, out so much. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, if anybody from Extreme Flight's listening, you just got to improve your color schemes. You've never been great at it, but you've just got to wow us. Do something that's, you know, nice and elegant, a bit like what Pilot RC did with that... Uh, that um, they had laid a slick scheme, but that is just a beautiful looking aircraft as well. So, and I, you know, the pilot RC really come a long way as well. Um, you know, they're, they're doing a good job as well. So, you know, I don't have direct favorites, but I, I know you and I know, Wormy, that if you're really serious about aerobatics, what are the brands you're going to buy? Extreme Fly and Pilot RC. Bingo. Oh, we've got Krills and Compass yeah, have been but... very popular in that IMAX scene kind yeah, of thing, of but. I think um, with the way the freestyle flying's gone, 
the, the faster type stuff. Yeah, the lighter helps. You got to have that lightness in, and the balsa airframe is what gives you that. And it's interesting that uh, you know a large proportion of the iMac is down here in Victoria. Victoria, who's most of you relatively new because Michael Andrewsick sort of rebuilt the iMac down here, and um, most of you I think are flying balsa planes. Whereas, yeah, I think there's only a few flying composites now. Yeah, it used to be Not sort much. of the domain of the composite, you know. The Compaf extras, you know, were really, really popular planes and the Yaks. Um, but yeah, really big shift to um to the balsa planes as well now. So things always keep on changing, really. Well, it's been a pleasure uh to have you on the podcast. I've been planning to have you on for, for many weeks now. We finally got round to doing it and we'll probably get round to flying some sim at some point in time as well in the next week or so. So all the best, Wumi, with your uh, aerobatic flying. Keep up the good work and uh I'll talk to you soon about your freestyle routine. You can show me the latest uh, incarnation of your uh, of your, your new freestyle sequence. So all the best, Wemmy. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me on, Andrew, and thanks for all the support. About to leave, already packing. Come with me, I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. That's all I have for you this week on the Flat Out RC podcast. Big thank you to the Wormstar, Brad Worm, for joining me on the Flat Out RC podcast. Now, don't forget, if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe. And whilst you're at it, in the mood for subscribing, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube channel, just look up Flat Out RC and get on board with the Flat Out RC movement. Hopefully, this time next week, I'll be just sitting back and reminiscing of a, a great day flying. I'm hoping to get out next week. The weather's looking good, which I can't wait to do. Between lockdowns and bad weather, it's driving me crazy. But I did I did fly my FPV drones. That kept me in good spirits this weekend. Anyway, thanks for joining me once again. We'll be back next week for plenty more.